You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Brian Weber. It's a talk show. We talk. And former Pro Bowl Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart. Hey, get your popcorn ready. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hello and welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber alongside Cordell Stewart. On today's podcast, we're going to spotlight the Colts with Stephen Holder from the Indy Star and talk Chiefs with Blair Kirkhoff from the Kansas City Star. On this Valentine's Day, Cordell and I discuss which teams we love the most heading into next season. Cordell, analysis is always better with a music bed. So let's jump right in. We're going to go division by division. Here's the conceit. Who do you love the most starting in the AFC East? Hot take. Tom Brady's coming back for another year. Bill Belichick still on the sideline. Patriots clearly the team to beat. Let's make it more interesting. Who's going to be the second best team in the AFC East next season? Outside of, I mean, love is a strong word, but if there's a team that you feel uh, that has a better chance of being successful in that division, I would say, of course, we all know it's the New England Patriots. I say the Miami Dolphins is a good quarterback away. Uh, from being a good team. I know Buffalo has is, 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 is been the team that snuck into the playoffs last year, got a little help, I think, from Baltimore losing and Cincinnati beating them, I think. Um, but I don't see them make a run. I don't see them making that run again. I'm going with the Miami Dolphins um, with maybe Ryan Tannehill coming back or another quarterback. So I think Miami will be the second-best team in that division of the AFC East. What if the Bills finally get a quarterback? What if they write a very big check to Kirk Cousins? Would that change your mindset on Buffalo? No, it wouldn't. Um, I don't think that – I know Shady McCoy is there, but I know they have Calvin Benjamin on the outside. I get all that great stuff. But I still think the Miami Dolphins is a team that we've seen when this New England Patriots team travel to Miami that they struggles. Saw him got beat last year. That becomes more the question. Can Buffalo make a move like a Miami Dolphins team to beat New England? That that's that's the problem for all the other teams in that division. And I don't think they'll be able to do it with a Kirk Cousins. I think they'll, you know, make Kirk Cousins uh, seem like he's on roller skates and be nervous and you know, and not be able to get it done because Bill Belichick's going to play with his head. But again, can Buffalo beat New England? I think they can't. Close games, sure. We've seen how much they struggle, but the Dolphins, that's the team that can actually get the edge because they can't go and have them come into their house there in Miami, down in the Hard Rock, what is it, the Hard Rock Stadium, Hard mm-hmm. Rock Cafe Stadium, and end up losing to the Miami Dolphins. So I think the Miami Dolphins will be the second best team. Okay. Remember, Gronk was suspended for that game, and a lot of question marks about the health of Ryan Tannehill coming back from his latest knee injury. We're also going to have to find some worst-to-first scenarios. Happened for the 14th time in the span of 15 seasons, and we had three teams achieve the feat last year. The Rams went from the bottom to the top, a la Drake. Jacksonville, three wins, the AFC title game, and Philadelphia won seven games last year. That was worse in their division. You know that they were able to capture Super Bowl glory. AFC North, Pittsburgh's going to win again. Who's the second-best team in that division next year? I think it maintains being the Baltimore Ravens. Um, Cincinnati, you would love to give them a run at it. Um, But I'll I'll go with the Baltimore Ravens. I thought last, this past season, I thought they played well. Didn't finish strong, but I thought they ended up finding a direction. Ozzie Newsom is no longer there. I think he's going to end up stepping down at some point in time. I got some of that information if it hadn't happened officially yet. Uh, the, The actual... 
GM of that football team. I heard some conversations kind of slip out. And let's just call it alleged information for now. But yeah, the Ravens still, said last year for Ozzie, and then his successor takes over next season. He takes over next season. So I look at this Baltimore Ravens team uh, still being a successful team within that division because I just don't think Cincinnati's going to get it done. And I just think Cleveland is just another team. I like Baltimore. I'll go with the, the swag and, and I'll go with the rings and all the things that allow a team like that, you know, with a T-sizzle possibly coming back. I still think that that team has more talent than all these other two teams combined in, in Cincinnati and, and also the Cleveland Browns. So the Baltimore Ravens will be the second best team in that division. On this Valentine's Day, so far a lot of chalk. We got to shake it up as for the teams that we love the most heading into next season. And I'll do just that. Talking about a team that could go from worst to first to win the division, I'm giving you the Houston Texans, Cordell. They're going to rise up from four losses. They were tied with the Colts for the worst record in the AFC South. Contingent upon the health of Deshaun Watson if he comes all the way back from the torn ACL. I have Houston winning that division. How about you? Hmm. It's pretty good. You know what I'll do? I'll go with the Tennessee Titans with Mike Vrabel. And this is the reason why. He knows Bill O'Brien. He knows what Bill O'Brien loves to do. Mike Vrabel had an opportunity to go against mobile quarterbacks with being with uh, Bill Belichick and taking away the strengths of the team. I think understanding that we'll have Deshaun Watson coming back uh, because of his knee injury, I think he actually keeps him contained within the pocket, Mike Vrabel, because he's all about being on point. He's all about being disciplined. He's all about every guy doing their job. And I think that's what he's going to implement into this organization with the Tennessee Titans. And I think they understand that in order for them to get in, they got to at least be the second best team, worst case scenario, in that division. And which team you think will be the second best team in that division? I think it will be the Houston Texans because I think the Jacksonville Jaguars still makes a run to being the best team in the AFC South because of what they're coming back with, even with Blake Bortles as the quarterback on this football team. So if there's a team that I pick, and I'm going just based on coaching and understanding what he – I mean, Mike Vrabel took that job within that division, saying, in my opinion, saying, that, you know what, I'm not afraid of what's going on in this division. I know how to defend it. I know how to go against it. And he's going to take his chances by staying in it because most might have a chance to just want to leave and go elsewhere and not contend with going against uh, their head, their former head coach. I think the Tennessee Titans become the second-best team over the Houston Texans, who will make a great run when Deshaun Watson come back, come back. But there's no guarantee how healthy he'll be. I know he'll be good, but the question is, will he be able to get down with the boogie down when he comes back after his torn ACL and his knee? And take this team, the prominence, to the point where they will be the best team in the AFC. South, that is. Over the Jacksonville Jaguars. My answer to that is, heck no. Jacksonville still sits at the top. They deserve it. They've earned it. And I think the Tennessee Titans with Mike Vrabel leading the helm. Get Marcus Mariota. Marcus Mariota back in the position to be in a dynamic QB that we've seen him be overall. Last year, not this past season, but last year, being the best red zone offense in the National Football League, Philadelphia has that has that uh, trophy now. Obviously, they went to the Super Bowl and won it for obvious reasons. But I'm going with the Tennessee Titans. Okay, got to pick up the pace. Got to do five divisions in six minutes, but we can handle our business. AFC West, I'm going to hmm. invert things. Oakland goes from six wins to division champs. And yes, I have question marks about John Gruden. 
This is not Gruden-based analysis. This is faith in Derek Carr. We'll see what Mahomes does, and we'll be talking about that coming up with Blair Kirkhoff from the Kansas City Star. Kansas City, to me, could be just as dynamic offensively, but I know we're talking about Kansas City, Missouri. Oh, yeah. You got to show me, pal. I'm from Missouri. I can't tell you with confidence what Mahomes is going to do until I see more than one start against Denver in a meaningless game. I have the Raiders winning that division. How about you? Show me what you're working with. I'm going with the Denver Broncos. They're going to probably end up grabbing Kirk Cousins because Von Miller wants them. If they grab Kirk Cousins, that team is a team to beat because they will score touchdowns, which means now this defense. What a key to leave in Von Miller. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Derek Wolf and company, these guys end up actually being able to play the defense that they want to play because their offense is scoring touchdowns. They don't have to play offense and defense at the same time. They just play aggressive, play hard, play fast. I think they get it done. I'm going with the Broncos. NFC East as we jump over to the NFC. If it's a big if, Carson Wentz returns from the torn ACL and LCL in time for the regular season opener. I'm taking the Eagles. Also, it's process of elimination. Who's going to be the quarterback in Washington? Eli Manning has fallen apart. Dallas did not make enough changes on the coaching staff. Somehow, some way, Rod Marinelli, Scott Linnan keeping those gigs. Put it all together. I like the Eagles. Hot take reigning Super Bowl champs to win the division again. How about you? I'm, I'm sticking with that, too. I think the Dallas Cowboys are going to make it run, but I just don't know. Scott Lanahan, as you mentioned, can, can turn it around. Or even Marinelli uh, can be a little bit more aggressive. They're more passive-aggressive, which I think cost them more. I'm going with the Philadelphia Eagles in that division. And speaking of passive-aggressive, I'm aggressive-aggressive, and you know where I'm going with the NFC North. Go ahead. Well, do I have to even articulate it? You yeah, had you a do. nice conversation I to, with I him. I want everyone to hear this. On the red carpet in Minnesota. In fact, he'll be at the Daytona 500 cheering on his girlfriend, Danica Patrick. My that? guy, Aaron Rodgers, leads the Packers from seven victories last year to a division title. Well, the Green Bay Packers is the team that you're talking about. The player who you like the most in playing and having a good year is Aaron Rodgers. I think that happens regardless. Uh, when it comes to the team in Minnesota, here's my problem with trying to pick Minnesota again. Because don't forget, Matt Patricia does have the Detroit Lions who's been playing really, really good football. I'm going to go out on a limb and talk about the Chicago Bears and what they won't do, but I'm going with the Detroit Lions. I think Pat, Matt Patricia comes in and he gives his team a spark. That's a spark that they haven't had before from the standpoint of making guys do their job. He helps out Matthew Stafford, and they play much better football. And I think that from a cohesive standpoint, offensively and defensively, they play well off one another. They get them at least 100 to maybe two 100-yard rushers in the season just because of the approach that I think they will have with this football team having their head coach being Matt Patricia. I'm going with the Detroit Lions. I think they finally get it done. I think they finally closed the deal, winning the division. I think they finally put it together in a way where they allow the numbers that Matthew Stafford has been putting up for all the years he's been there with the Detroit Lions, make, allow them to mean something, meaning getting to the next level. They win the division, they make it into the postseason. I'm going with the Detroit. Now, that's a hot take. I'm yeah, going with the Detroit Lions. You want numbers for Detroit? They haven't won the division since 1993, haven't won a playoff game since 1991, one playoff victory since 1957. Matt Patricia comes in and gets it done. With his I regal beard. Yeah. NFC South, Drew Brees ain't going any place. New Orleans is going to write a big check, I think, to the tune of $30 million guaranteed because they have reshaped the roster now, emphasizing the one-two punch on the ground. 
Going to be interesting to see what happens with Mark Ingram in this offseason, but you know you have a star in the making in Alvin Kamara and a better defense. I'm taking the Saints. I know it's a lot of continuity from last year, but I have more faith in them than I do based on the relative question marks throughout the rest of the division. Who do you like? Well, you know, the crazy thing about that is, and, and, and not, not, a, not enough noise is being made about the Atlanta Falcons. They went to the Super Bowl and lost, and they made it back to the postseason. That's two successful seasons. Now, we've known that teams that won, gone to a Super Bowl and lost, they've struggled to get back to being into the mix of having a chance to get back to the postseason. They defied the odds. They made it back. I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm going to rock and roll with the Atlanta Falcons and say that this defense, as well as this offense, along with Matt Ryan and uh, Steve Sar- Sarkeesian, he comes back uh, with the understanding of what it is, and he goes out and he wins this division. New Orleans is a good football team, but I think they were good but not good enough to really get to the next level. Atlanta, I think, has better pieces, and I think they actually benefit from uh, what they've accomplished this past season moving forward with these backs in the backfield, whether it's Freeman and Coleman and these receivers. I think Atlanta goes and wins a division next year. That is a hot take. It's killing me to say it. A minute left for the NFC West. I know you want to tell me Jimmy G and the Niners are going to rise up from last place. I'll let you mm-hmm. go in a second. I think it's the Rams again. Based on all the weapons they have, they're going to pay Aaron Donald. Unfinished business because they were one and done in the postseason. Sean McVay, I think, was overwhelmed by the magnitude of the moment. But I think they're still the most complete team in that division. How about you? <sighs> Man. I'm going to I'm, I'm, I'm take a chill pill on this. I'm going to go with the Seattle Seahawks. I'm going to go with the Seahawks. You know, even though Cam Chancellor, he's coming back. We got Richard Sherman. We don't know for sure what's going to happen. I think Earl Thomas, he stays at safety. Uh, they may bring in Des Bryant as a receiver. I'm going to throw that out there. Put that in the universe to help out Doug Baldwin. Um, I think they sure up this offensive line, get a running game. I think they, these guys on defense get healthy. I think they make a run. I think they bully this Rams team around uh, when recognizing what their weaknesses are, which is applying pressure. And also playing at nighttime in the Coliseum because it's slippery because they haven't figured out how to change their cleats at the bottom of their shoes, going from the half-inch length cleats to the three-quarter-inch length. I think Seattle gets back on top and become reign supreme, and the second-best team will end up being the San Francisco 49ers. Back to you. Those are the teams that we love on this Valentine's Day. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Tune in has what you need and when you want it when on the run and on the go. Covering all musical needs. Today's hits. Latin hits. Country roads. Hip hop beats. Supporting artists and the music they make exclusively on TuneIn. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Next on NFL No Huddle, we welcome in Blair Kirkhoff from the Kansas City Star. Blair, thanks for taking the time. So you got Derek Johnson and some other veterans being waived by the Chiefs. And of course, the blockbuster deal sending Alex Smith to our nation's capital. Fair to say KC is making a concerted effort to get much younger? It is. It's very fair to say that's exactly what it is. Even even with Alex Smith coming off the year that he had, where he led the NFL in passer rating, he um, he has been um, subject to the, the youth movement with, with uh, Patrick Mahomes coming in next year. But uh, the Derek Johnson and, and there was a you know, there was a bit of sadness with uh, with Alex Smith 
Uh, although everybody in, I think all Chiefs fans are, are pretty eager to see what Pat Mahomes is all about. But, but there's truly a sadness with Derek Johnson, even though the fans, I think they understand that, you know, it's, it's a business and you got to make decisions like these. He's an extremely popular player in Kansas city. And, uh, uh, and and uh, it's, it's it's difficult for fans to come to grips with him, uh, the team, and him parting ways. When you look at the defense and what they've been able to, let's just say, get prepared uh, to be a really good football team, um, you end up having players like the Eric Berries who end up getting injured, and all of a sudden you have a, a Kendall Fuller who actually fills in. Now, how does this defense look to help out the Patrick Mahomes on the other side of the football when it's all said and done because he is the younger kid? On the team, right. That, that's right, and 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 that's the. I think that's the the bigger mystery. Even even though Mahomes is going to be be a first year starter, there are so many uh, answered questions on the offensive side with uh, with the likes of a Travis Kelsey and Kareem Hunt and um, Tyree Kill. The stars are on the offensive side. It's the defense. Uh, I think where the question marks are for the Chiefs. And, and that's where the problems were this past year, starting with, the, as you mentioned, the Eric Berry injury. That, um, that was such a tough one for Kansas City because of, he's such a meaningful player on the field and in the locker room for the Chiefs. That affected Kansas City throughout the season. Um, and it, was, it was only an average defensive team at best this year. Um, it was, it, it's a defense that under Bob Sutton had, had previous years thrived on turnovers and turnover, winning turnover the battle, and, and it, it did, that didn't happen in a big way that needed to this past year. So uh, they're, they're intent on making changes, and, um, and, and this was, you know, they, 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 uh, they cut Darrell Revis a couple of weeks ago, and, and now uh, Derek Johnson is, um, you know, is a free agent and won't be back with the Chiefs. Um, and the draft's going to be really important, I, I think, even though the Chiefs gave up their number one for Patrick Mahomes last year. They've got a two and two-thirds in, in April, and who knows? Let's see what happens um, between now and then. But uh, but I, I think defense is going to be the emphasis in the early part of the draft for the Chiefs. Talking Chiefs with Blair Kirkhoff from the Kansas City Star. Blair, what kind of leader do you think Patrick Mahomes is going to be in Kansas City? We've had him on this show twice and spoken to him in person. Soft-spoken in those settings, but it's not how you handle an interview that matters when you get to the NFL as a full-time starter. Right. Right, he, you know, he's a he's a gracious person, and uh, and I, I think he'll be uh, really popular in, in town, um, especially with uh, if he has some success. Um, but but the, but the leader thing that that's that's sort of out there, and and, and we're all kind of wondering that. Uh, uh, of course, it'll be much easier to lead when you're uh, when you're winning. Uh, I, I think we saw a little bit of that with. With with Houston with with Deshaun Watson before his injury, how he how he started to galvanize the Texans this year before he went out early with his injury. I, I, I can see that happening, but again, when you think about who the you know, it's, it's a pretty much a veteran team on the offensive side with with star power, and uh, and I I don't think that this um, the offensive side will lack for for leaders, um, but but he's going to have to perform. I. Uh, Mahomes is—they've taken a big chance with with him and, and moving up in the draft to get him and, and put a lot of trust in a guy who had an overall losing record in college, had some sterling numbers, but uh, but an overall losing record at Texas Tech. Uh, but but he was impressive in the preseason and he did pick up a victory in his first and only start, the regular season finale against the Broncos. Um, it's just going to be a really interesting uh, OTA and, and preseason as. 
as Mahomes becomes more comfortable as the as the guy. When you think of losing Alex Smith, and I, and I say losing because he, he gave some really good numbers last year, uh, 26 touchdowns, five INTs, he threw for 4,000 yards, the most, most yards he's thrown in his career. How much do you think you're losing when it comes down to what he brought to the table as a veteran, uh, but most importantly, how he was capable of going out and being efficient without turning the football over and, and, and maybe putting the team in the position to not succeed now having Patrick Mahomes? Right, and he, he, you know, he did have a, a, an excellent year, and, uh, and and there is going to be a period of adjustment as the, uh, uh, you know, he was here for five years, which meant he was working with, you know, his receivers for, you know, as long as they were, the, you know, Alex Smith was really with with one or two games exceptions, the only quarterback that the Chiefs receivers worked with here, you know, got and you know how it is, got all the you know all the reps at practice and. He knew everybody's habits and uh, characteristics, and, um, and 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 even when new when new wide receivers would break on the scene, it would it would take a while for for them to adjust to Alex Smith because there was such a comfort level with the guys that uh, you know that he'd known for a little bit longer time, and so that they're going to start fresh basically on that level, um, and and again that's why the off season is going to be so important for Mahomes and uh, and, and and this receiving core and and trap and the tight ends including Travis Kelsey. So that, to me, is the, what's going to be the, the most noticeable miss uh, without Alex Smith is uh, getting on the same page and connecting with, uh, uh, connecting with the wide receivers because that really was a, a comfort level that, that, that the Chiefs had uh, in, in Smith's tenure here. Blair Kirkhoff from the Kansas City Star is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Blair, it's my understanding Andy Reid's going back to becoming the play caller after he gave up those duties late last year. When he stepped aside briefly, what changes did you notice in the aggressiveness and the overall tone of that offense? Well, it, it did get a little more, you mentioned it, it got a little bit more aggressive. The first, um, uh, at least one of the first uh, games where, uh, where that occurred came when the Chiefs played at the New York Jets. Uh, and this had been a, a pretty staggered offense for a few weeks. Now, they were dealing with some injuries, uh, but it, it really started to grind into you know, a, a real labor uh, with, with, with the offense. Uh, and he puts Matt Nagy in charge of the play calling in the Jets game, and, and the Chiefs had two touchdown passes in the first, I don't know, five, six minutes of that game and, and ended up with 31 points. They ended up losing the game. Um, to the Jets, uh, a, a, a tough, tough loss. But uh, but but the offense had changed from, from that day, and it just seemed to be a um, a, a, a better operating uh, offense. Now, look, Andy Andy had certainly final say on on everything, and, and that will um, and that will be the case no matter who ends up calling the plays uh, while he's the Chiefs coach. And I think, look, I think eventually, even though Eric Bieniemy has been um, uh, elevated to, you know, offensive coordinator. I, I think he'll eventually be given that responsibility that, that that Doug Peterson had three years ago, and 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 Matt Nagy had last year. I I, I just think that's the way Andy Reid grooms his assistant coaches, and and we'll be seeing that from um, from Eric Bieniemy pretty soon. When you look at this team, Blair, and you see what they've been able to accomplish starting off the season uh, by going out and beating the New England Patriots. Uh, the way they did, which was a powerful start. Let's just say staying, just sticking with that game without talking about the five games that they actually went on a run with. But they start that way. And, of course, we saw the lull in the middle of, of seven games. They end up losing six of those. 
How do you fix those problems as you move forward? Because they hadn't been able to go into the postseason after having a good year and being able to get a victory to go to the next level to justify Andy Reid's presence there as a head coach on this team. Yeah, yeah, they 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 do. They they wallop, you know, fifteen point win at New England to open the year, and they follow that up by beating the Eagles in Week Two in the Arrowhead opener. So they took care of the Super Bowl opponents in, in the first two weeks of the season, and so Chiefs fans were. Um, we're, we're more than interested in the Super Bowl this year, and, and not only because of the, you know, having those two wins, but of course uh, Nick Foles was the Chiefs' backup quarterback a year ago, and Doug Peterson, the offensive coordinator, uh, previous to going to the Eagles. Um, but but you're right; they start out five and zero, and and they do look like this. They they look like the best team in the AFC, um, and and then and, and then it all falls apart. Uh, I, I thought a key moment for the Chiefs this past season was when they lost a home game, primetime game to the Steelers in the exact same fashion they had lost a playoff game to Pittsburgh the previous year. Um, Le'Veon Bell went nuts on them, and, uh, and, and, uh, and the Chiefs couldn't get anything going offensively. And I think that, was a, I think that, that created a mental obstacle for the Chiefs. Here they were losing in the same fashion to the team that eliminated them in the playoffs last year. So, you know, just how far could this Chiefs team go, even after beating New England and, and Philly in the first two weeks? But, um, look, it's going to be a different team in 2018, starting with Patrick Mahomes, uh, new pieces on the, on the defensive side. They've got some issues on um, at, uh, at outside linebacker defensive end. They don't know if Dee Ford, who, who lines up opposite Justin Houston, um, they don't know his status. He's, he, he missed more than half of the season with the, with a back injury, and, you guys know how it is with backs. You just never know. So um, there's the replacement of of of, uh, uh, of Derek Derek Johnson, and, uh, and and now it looks like the secondary is going to shore up with the return of Eric Berry. You got Marcus Peters on one side, and now Kendall Fuller. I think is tabbed for the for the other cornerback. I think they're going to be better defensively. I think it really does all come down to how quickly Patrick Mahomes can develop and um, and, and and be the answer uh, for this offense. Blair, we appreciate the information. Thanks very much for joining us today on the NFL on TuneIn. Sounds good, guys. Take care. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Tune in, listeners. It's Fanbuary. It's Fanbuary? Yes, Fanbuary. That time of year when we get ready for life after football. NBA playoffs. Two, one for the win. Yes! March Madness. Slam to ants. MLB spring training. It's gone. It's a home run. NHL playoffs. Here's a chance. Block. Rebound. Score! And the best way to celebrate Fanbuary is by upgrading to TuneIn Premium so you don't miss any of the great moments in sports. Commercial free with TuneIn. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we close out NFL No Huddle, the podcast, let's talk Colts with Stephen Holder from the Indy Star. Stephen, thanks so much for coming back on the show since Colts GM Chris Bauer conceded that Frank Reich wasn't on his original short list to replace Chuck Pagano when he was starting the process in December. And we know Josh McDaniels backed out of the job last week. What was the local reaction to Reich getting the gig? You know, I, I think there's universal support for this, which is pretty rare. And it, it may be less muted than it was for Josh McDaniels because I think, excuse me, despite him being a patriot, which doesn't go over very well around here, I think people were excited about the offensive upside that he might have brought, and people kind of came around to supporting that. But with, but even with Josh McDaniels, there were certainly doubts and there were 
there was some there was some second guessing even after people had come to accept it. Here, I'm not hearing any of that. I just hear all positive reaction to this. And again, it's day one, or I guess day two now, and we'll see. But I don't hear any feedback that tells me people are, are concerned about this or have doubts about it. I mean, he really comes across well, and I think he, he definitely won the press conference for what that's worth. And I think he made a great first impression. Stephen, when you look at the time that Andrew Luck has spent in the National Football League over the last three years, he's missed 26 games over the last three years. Most players in the National Football League, when they miss that much time, uh, they're considered either a liability or they're just not capable of being a starter or even in the National Football League for that matter. Think of someone like a Sam Bradford. What would you say about Andrew Luck if he comes back this season um, and he not have the opportunity to stay on the football field and most importantly stay healthy? Well, if that happens again, then I don't think there's any real dispute about it. Uh, right now, the, the problem has been that his shoulder wasn't addressed at an earlier time. So that problem lingered, and then it ended up costing, costing him, as you know, 2017. So if they can alleviate this problem, then I don't foresee Andrew Luck being a guy who's repeatedly injured again. But it's really going to boil down to, to addressing this once and for all. They have addressed it, and it's really going to be a matter of, of finally closing the book on this injury. They can do that and turn the page. Then there's really not a lot of reason to be concerned about Angel Luck. But until they do that, we have to always sort of uh, consider the jury being still out because it is. It, he has to take the field. It is what it is. Uh, the other thing is he missed 16 games last year with the shoulder. Prior to that, he had sort of the – uh, lacerated kidney injury, which is kind of a freak injury, and I and I, I get that it, it certainly adds to the totals of games missed, but I, I kind of chalk it up to, I presume, a one-time thing and not something that he'll have to confront later on. So the shoulder is what it's all about right now for Andrew Luck. Spotlighting the Colts with Stephen Holder does a great job of covering the club for the Indy Star. Stephen, I don't want to be too cynical, and you're closer to the scene than I am, but I'll go back to last July, August. Chuck Pagano was indicating to the assembled media that you were part of, everything's fine with Andrew Luck. We think he's going to be ready to go, and here we are in February. Luck's still not throwing the football, so is it reasonable to have some doubts about a timetable moving forward? Uh, I think the the proper perspective on it is, is to, I always say, show me, don't tell me. So, and I think the Colts are taking that approach. I mean, look, they're, they're answering the question based on the information they have now. And that information they have right now is the doctors are telling them, we think he's going to be fine. We don't think he needs another surgery. But he's got to continue to, to ramp up his throwing and continue to, to really stress that shoulder before you can say that 100%. So I think they're, they're pretty honest about the situation right now. They can only answer the question based on the the information that's currently available. Now that could change, and they don't anticipate it changing, but it could change. To your question, uh, should there be concern? Well, yeah. I mean, I think it's fair to be concerned. Anytime the guy's been out this long, it's totally fair to to be concerned about it. Uh, and, but what I also would say is that last year, I do feel strongly about this. Last year, coming into the season, I don't necessarily feel. Well, Jim Mersey probably talked out of school a couple of times. <laughs> that I will admit. But I think I, I think that, that General Manager Chris Ballard, even Chuck Pagano to some extent, when they told us the plan was for Andrew Luck to play, that was true. Andrew Luck did come back to practice. So I think all systems would go until 
he ran into that shoulder soreness that caused them to shut him down. So he was as close as he's been to playing uh, last October. At any point since this shoulder surgery in uh, last January, it just didn't happen. They had to shut it down and kind of start the process over, and that's why we're still at it. So hopefully it's coming to a conclusion. Many players, Stephen, come into the National Football League and are always compared to other players. Andrew Luck came in and uh, many may have wanted him to be the second coming to, to Peyton Manning and Indy, uh, but it hadn't fared that way. Do you think it's fair to put that much pressure on a player's career when they're just coming to the National Football League and, and knowing that you gave up someone that was one of the best, if not the best in the game, for a kid that came from a system that was uh, built around running the football and play-action pass and throwing the football down the field as well as making plays with his feet? Yeah, look, it, it's it's tough and it's not fair to answer your question at all to put those kinds of expectations on a guy. But I will say this: Andrew Luck, the one thing he doesn't uh, doesn't falter in the face of is pressure. Uh, he's dealt with that better than most players I've ever dealt with. In fact, if you think back to the first three years of his career, he has become a master of sort of the fourth quarter and overtime comeback. I mean, that was kind of his calling card. And the interesting thing about the the correlation between Andrew Luck and Peyton Manning, look, he's not Peyton Manning, and nor do I ever try to cast him as that. But what's interesting is that Peyton Manning, I think sometimes people forget, Peyton didn't have immediate success in terms of team success. It took some time. Those Colts teams went four years without ever winning a playoff game. Andrew Luck has, has taken this team to the AFC Championship game. Now, they've had a lot of difficulties since then, but his first year, they, they lost their one playoff game. The next year, he had that thrilling playoff victory over the Kansas City Chiefs, one of the biggest comebacks in history, you know, all off Frank Wright back in the day, ironically. And then the next year after that, they took the next step and went to the, the championship game and lost in New England. So they have really... Under Andrew Luck, they have really taken some huge postseason leaps, but it's just been the injuries, and it's been, I think, in large part, the team around him that has failed Andrew Luck. And if those two things can happen, if they can get him healthy and they can build a better roster around him, then he's got a chance to get back on track. But both of those things have to happen, and, and so far they haven't happened concurrently in the last couple of years. Stephen Holder from the Indy Star is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Let's address other roster issues. Frank Gore, 34, on his way to the Hall of Fame, but heading into free agency. So what does the Colts running back situation look like with the potential to draft Saquon Barkley from Penn State if they choose? Yeah, I don't anticipate Frank Gore coming back. I think he, he definitely wants to play this year, depending on the situation. He's kind of exploring his options, and we'll see where that goes. And in terms of the running back situation outside of of Gore, they've got Marlon Mack, who is a, a nice fourth-round pick from a year ago. I don't think he's in every down back. So Saquon Barkley, to me, is extremely tempting. Look, I am, I'm not one of those people who makes blanket assumptions about positions. You know, you shouldn't draft a running back that high. Maybe you should, shouldn't. I, I, don't, I don't look at it that way. I think you look at it on a case-by-case basis. And the question with Saquon Barkley, for me, just a layperson, is what if he's Adrian Peterson? Right? Do you leave that on the table? You know, just because of some sort of philosophy, that would be pretty stupid. So I think they have to at least keep their options open there. The other thing I'd say, though, is, look, 
getting a pass rusher like Chubb at number three, it really could invigorate their defense. They've been searching for a pass rusher here in Indianapolis really since Robert Mathis's last couple of years where he started to really fade and, and show his age. They just haven't been able to do it. Like Freeney's been gone now for five, six years. They really have to do something about their pass rush, and I don't know that there are are better opportunities to do it than with that number three pick. So it's really going to come down to do they think that the tantalizing potential of, of Saquon Barkley overrides you know, the huge, huge need and ability to fill it that Chubb provides? So that's a tough question, and I don't know that there's a right answer. It really just depends on your perspective. When you look at the AFC South, it's been a division for many years, especially going back to Peyton Manning, where they were reign supreme in that division, and everyone else was obviously second fiddle, but it's kind of flopped a little bit. Jacksonville is now playing as about as good as it get, gets, even with Blake Bortles. Um, you see the Tennessee Titans finding their way. You see the Houston Texans with Deshaun Watson. He's coming back along with J.J. Watt and those guys getting healthy. But right now, Indy looking like they're the team that has the most issues. What do you think it's going to take for them to at least start becoming more competitive as they move forward? I don't think that's a, an unfair assessment at all. I mean, they have a lot of work to do. It, it, it really has flipped. The situation in the division has really flipped the last couple of years. And it's not surprising. I mean, Jacksonville has been stockpiling these early draft picks for years and they now have a coaching situation and a front office situation that seems stable, and these guys are making things happen. So we'll see what happens at the quarterback position, but certainly they are a team that, that is going to have to be dealt with. Tennessee is sort of on the verge of becoming a legitimate threat. I still think when I watched Tennessee in the regular season last, last year, I frankly was underwhelmed. But then they had a pretty good showing in the playoffs. So we'll have to see where they're at. They have to truly define themselves going forward. But Marcus Mariota made some plays in the playoffs that I have not seen from him. So if he continues to do that, they're on the right track. And then I just, I really just love Deshaun Watson. And, and I think Bill O'Brien is a good coach, and he's going to get that kid going uh, once he gets healthy. So the Colts just really, right now, they've got to keep pace. It's what they've got to do. And then as they do that, then the next step will be trying to find a way to get ahead of the competition. Right now it's about keeping pace and not falling too far behind in this division because on a, on a man-to-man basis, they have probably the worst personnel. So <laughs> they have the best quarterback perhaps, but he's not played. So their best attribute and where they measure up with the AFC South, uh, they don't have it at their disposal right now. So it's not a great situation for the Colts, and they got to keep pace because the division has gotten significantly better. Stephen, great information as always. Thanks so much for joining us again here on the NFL on TuneIn. All right, guys, anytime. Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. TuneIn, your everything audio app.